I'm Emily from San Francisco. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the sound of young America. Maximum I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on The Sound of Young America is singer-songwriter Ben Folds. Folds has a brand new album called Way to Normal. Here's the first single, You Don't Know Me, which features Regina Spector. I want to ask you, do you ever sit and wonder it's so strange we could be together for so long and never know, never care what goes on in the other one's hair? Things I felt but I never said You said things that I never said So I'll say something that I should have said long ago moment where we saw the couple in the coma and it was we were the cliche but we carried on anyway so sure i could just close my eyes yeah sure trace and memorize but can you go back once you know you don't know me you don't know me at all it's the sound of young america i'm jesse thorne my guest on the program ben folds is a piano-playing singer-songwriter. His brand-new album is called Way to Normal. Ben, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Good to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. We we were just talking about someone outside the window playing drums on a table, Mm. Um, and I had just been reading about you playing drums on a basketball as a kid. How did you end up being a percussionist? Well... I knew I wanted to play music, and um, that was just the uh, the opportunity, I guess, that was uh, to play in the uh, school band. You know, was it like a handing out instruments day kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, everyone wanted to play drum. That's what everyone wanted to do. It wasn't drums, but just like snare drums. There's a whole line of kids all, and we all auditioned, and only two of us were going to get it. And I was thrilled because I got it. And so, but we didn't have a snare drum at my house. So I, I brought my sticks back home and played on a basketball. How, how old is it? Like 13 or 14? Like first year of high school nine, or in middle school? Nine years nine old. Nine years yeah. old. Yeah, I was, I was way into it. I, I couldn't wait to be old enough to, um, to get to play music. Well, what kind of music did you want to play? Was it, was it always John Philip Sousa or nothing? Um, yeah. Yeah, it was going to be. Uh, no, um, I don't know. I just wanted to, I just wanted to play music. I, did, I wasn't real... You know, when you're a kid, you're, you 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 don't delineate things into styles. I don't think that much. It's not real natural. It's most that's more, mostly a formatting issue for distribution. I think most people don't care. When I was a kid, I, I liked, uh, you know, my favorite records were uh, Otis Redding and My Fair Lady. Were you careful at it? Were you hardworking at it? I was very frustrated and impatient 
for all <laughs> for all the joy it probably brought me, um, I, I I I broke things. I punched holes in walls. Um, I, I I threw horrible uh, temper tantrums at stuff that I couldn't do, which my parents didn't think of me as a kid with a temper otherwise because I didn't get mad at other people. I never got mad at things. I just got really super beside myself frustrated to not be able to do something that I thought certainly I could do because I felt I could understand it. I could listen to a record, break down all the parts in my head and have an idea of what I thought they were doing and I would try to accomplish it myself and physically couldn't connect the motor movements. It was just, it was really, I thought it was all that. I thought, I get this. This is not fair. Why can't I actually accomplish it? Can you remember a time when you when you did that, a particular time? Yeah, because the last time I punched a wall was in high school, um, my my bedroom, and I had been lucky up to that point to, you know, hit the drywall, and this time I hit the stud, <laughs> and broke my hand. <laughs> so I had to be taken in to to break my hand back into place because I had I my was like bone was sticking out of my hand. What were you trying to do? Did I was trying to do a a uh, a very very difficult. I know this sounds funny, but snare drum etude. So it was it was just really uh, difficult to control the, the the sticks. It was mainly the the, the issue, and and uh, real dynamic. And I would get three quarters of the way through it, and 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 I'd mess up. And I was recording it on a tape recorder, so I'd take a deep breath and I'd start from the beginning. I wouldn't accept it that I I couldn't start from the beginning and, and get to the end. So kept getting three quarters of the way through, which would take about ten minutes. I'd lose it again. I go, and I'd start it again. It was just, I was just, it was, I was just beating myself up. And then finally, you just start the, on the recording here, snare drum goes slinging across the room, kicking stuff. It was terrible. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So dramatic. That sounds like it could be a good hidden track for a future album. You know, it's probably on tape somewhere. I, I've got all these cassette tapes of, of I recorded everything I did. If I was practicing, I'd record that. Or you know, I was always recording. I had tons of tapes. What, what what did you get out of recording everything? Well, recorder was. I remember reading um, Stuart Copeland saying that the tape recorder was his first instrument, and I thought that's exactly right. That's the way I was because I, I just felt like uh, you know probably in, in in retrospect that gave me a realistic um, version of what I was doing, and I've never felt that my forte was making records, but um, but I think that that uh, that making tapes and, and recording myself, you know, gave me an, an honest version of what I was doing. And I was very critical. So even when I was a kid, I would write songs. When I was nine, 10 years old, I was writing songs at the piano. I'd record them and then I'd play them back. If, if I, if I felt I wasn't critical enough, I would take the tape into JC Penney, which was a department store that had some stereos. I put it in the stereo and I'd walk somewhere else and, 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 Almost like I was spying to see if what it would sound like if I walked in and heard that, and if I wasn't happy with it, I'd go back home and work on the song. It's almost like you were sneaking up on it in a way. Yeah, well, I wanted to. I wanted the perspective. I think is what it was. I wanted the perspective of knowing if 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 I was just telling myself it was good or if it was actually good. And I think I've always been um, really critical that way. So if you were so committed to this uh, percussion, to the drumming. Um, what was the melodic part that you were figuring out on the piano? What, where was that coming from? I think that just came naturally. I think I, that's just everyone has their short circuits in their brains that create something unique, and 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 it's mine is the melody circuit. I, it just 
It's never been. I, I, I even think I even I, because I don't think about it that much. I actually tone the melodies down, you know, because I've always kind of wanted to get a point across with the song, and 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 I came up sort of in an era where uh, maybe maybe it just wasn't in style or wasn't cool to be overly melodic. So I've always considered that like kind of my closet um, uh, shame uh, that, that, that melody is probably where I have my gift. And I never, I wake up in the morning and I have usually a fairly um, developed melody in my head that I've never heard before. And I'm starting to realize that most people, if they woke up with that, would go running to the piano with a pencil and paper and they would remember it. But it's just, that's just normal for me. In fact, it's, it's, it's annoying because uh, it's, uh, it, it keeps you from sleeping as well. It's just compulsive. It's just like it might start with da 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 da, and that's still going over and over again. Pretty soon it's da 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 and then I'm like in bed with this waltz going through my mind all night long. So I don't know. I mean, that was just what came natural. What I enjoyed was was playing drums. So you went to music college. You were doing percussion at music college. What led you to uh, what led you to leave that behind? Well, I got kicked out basically because um, uh, I had a full tuition scholarship, and I just um, you know a couple of mistakes here and there, and I lost the scholarship, which is really good because I think I would have eventually figured out how to conform to what they uh, really wanted to teach me because that's what I wanted to do. Everyone else was coming in and. and playing their asses off playing jazz and all these they knew the same scales and they had Zildjian Day t-shirts and they had Yamaha recording drum sets and everything was that and I thought that was cool and I wanted to be like that so I would have been like that if I had made it but as it turns out I just you know I I screwed up in a couple of places and 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 I, and I was out so what, what kind of if you don't mind my asking what kind of what kind of scrubs were they well I did really really well academically and then right right at the end um I I, I got into something that resembled a fight and, uh, um, you know, busted my face up and broke my hand again <laughs> right before, right before a big test. And, and the, the test was a, a, a percussion jury. It was a, it was a, you know, so yeah, so that, that, that was it. I couldn't keep the scholarship because I didn't basically just because of that incident was mostly it. That was that. So I just, Came back to North Carolina from the University of Miami and I worked at a grocery store for a year. Began to make money by playing like lounge bands, top forty bands, stuff like that, which kept me just busy enough to sort of not stay in school. And then once I dropped out of school, I realized that the the, the lounge bands were a dead end. So I resolved at about nineteen years old, I resolved not to play any music for any amount of money that I didn't want to do. So I was no longer going to play uh, other people's music, and I wasn't going to play my music in a way that someone else asked me to. And so as a result, I, I didn't have a record out until I was 28 years old. Uh, before you made your first record, you at one point moved to Nashville with a music publishing deal. Yeah, I haven't heard you describe that period in your life with tremendous fondness. Does it seem like it was a misstep looking back? No, it was perfect. I learned, I learned so much. And, and even then, I mean, I would feel I would I would complete some songs. I mean, you know, you you read about people like the Beatles or or we'd mentioned Elton John. I mean, pe- people who wrote literally a hundred songs before they felt like their craft was perfected. I didn't do that. 
I mean, all the songs that I wrote at the time that our first record came out, the first Ben Folds 5 record, almost all of them are represented on that record. I, I didn't actually write all that much. And, 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 and write at first, I think I gave the impression of being someone who's prolific, when in fact um, the publishing deal that I got myself into, the, the Nashville thing that you were just talking about, um, you know, they, they signed me because they liked the songs, which was great. And then they just figured I'd be writing a song every week, and it didn't happen. In fact, it really didn't happen. As soon as I, I all I needed was a little more pressure uh, to completely stop me, which is what happened. It's like, <laughs> and then I remember I, I wrote this song called "Boxing," which is on the first album, and, and that was after a considerable downtime of just feeling that I was just writer's blocked or something like that. And, uh, and then I wrote this song and turned it in. And I sat in front of the publisher while he listened to it. And he was, you could just, I mean, you could tell he was just completely like, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? You know, a year's gone by, I've been paying you, and this is what you've given me. I was sitting there thinking I need to quit. Howard, the strangest things have happened lately when I... just a minute, we'll hear about how Ben Folds carted his own piano across the country on tour in a rental truck, plus his thoughts about that other funny piano singer-songwriter, Randy Newman. All that after a quick break on The Sound of Young America from PRI Public Radio International. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Hi, it's me, Jesse. If you're interested in reaching the Sound of Young America's highly literate, intelligent, and awesome audience, you can use the medium of underwriting. Support the Sound of Young America, and we'll thank you by sharing your message with our thousands of listeners, both here on the podcast, on the radio show, and on our website. If you'd like more information about underwriting on The Sound of Young America, drop me a line at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. That's jesse at MaximumFun.org. 
Welcome back to The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. My guest is the singer, songwriter, and piano player Ben Folds. His brand new record is Way to Normal. Before the break, Ben told me that while his mind was humming with melodies, he had a hard time finishing songs. It's something he struggled with for quite a long time. I think uh, I've perfected, or maybe not perfected, I, I developed the art of recruiting outside pressure. I needed a lot of people to tell me, you've got to finish this. You know, the, the, after the first record, we had a second record to make, and I hadn't written really any songs. I mean, I had a couple of fragments, and then I was dry. I mean, that was 10 years worth of songs uh, on the on the first one. And, and and I literally put my bills, which I wasn't making, on the piano, like rent <laughs> and, and a phone bill and all that stuff. I put it on the piano to remind me that if I didn't finish songs, I wasn't making any of those bills. Did you think about <laughs> quitting? Oh, I did quit for a while. Yeah, I quit. Um, I, I, I kind of officially quit from the time I was 22 to 25. It, it just seemed like too much of a struggle. Like, it should really be this much of a struggle. And, um, you know, on top of that, um, I, I met this guy who was really inspiring. He worked uh, uh, for uh, BMI, Broadcast Music Incorporated. And he had written this big hit song, but that's all he'd ever written. And then he had this talk with me where it, I don't think he was trying to tell me anything, but... Uh, that his contribution wasn't necessarily going to be that he was a writer or a musician, that he could contribute in another way. And then I, uh, I just thought, well, I should open myself to the possibility that this just isn't what I do. You know, if I can't finish a song, and, and I can't really, the songs that I do finish aren't interesting to anyone. You know, it was, it was still kind of, it was the 90s, but it was still the 80s feel to everything. And my music just <laughs> didn't make sense in the 80s. And probably some of that is had I come up at another era maybe I wouldn't have gestated for as long because my music would have been more in style. But I can't tell you how out of style. In the 80s, to, to, to kind of have a set, because I've always sort of had a little 70s thing in my music that I never could get rid of. I mean, you could put all the gated drum samples that you want to on my music. It still sounds like the 70s. And I think I was just out of step. Yeah. You still, you set yourself up very much against the grain. Mm. I mean, uh, you were a piano-based frontman, which was seemed ridiculous at the it time. It did, yeah. Was that like a thoughtful choice to be doing something that was different? Or was it a circumstantial choice that the piano was the instrument you were the melodic instrument you were closest to mastery of i don't even think it's a question i could even really know the answer to i mean i've I just i know that i have set myself up against the grain just a little bit i know that part of me is conscious of the of the value of that you know as well as the struggle and then the value in the struggle i mean because i know that when the band started out it was very obvious that we were up against some serious obstacles even to play our first gig how are we going to get a real piano on stage, first of all? Um, everyone's playing this new grunge music. How is this going to work at all? And, but I was aware on some level that there was an open playing field where I seemed to want to go. There's and certainly if, also no instrument grungier than the concert piano. Right, that's as <laughs> grunge as you can get. <laughs> because the concert piano, the, the grand piano, it's a, a symbol of opulence i mean it's always has been you know you have an upright piano in your house maybe but the grand piano is that's that's expensive i mean i, I was in such debt over the piano i i i it was always something saving me from uh collection agencies and having the piano um 
having that repossessed. I was always on the verge of having the piano repossessed. And then playing shows never was lucrative because I had to rent a van and then convince people to help me put the piano into the van. I mean, it was all insane. <laughs> it really was. I mean, I look at it all and I, I think if I'd known how hard it was going to be. But, you know, we moved our own piano for three years of touring. Ben Folds 5 did. And that's that's how stubborn and... So were you touring with a piano, or were yeah. you um, getting a piano in, in every city where you had a gig? No, no, we were touring with a piano. Well, were you driving a U-Haul truck or something? Oh uh, yeah, it was. A, it was. A, oh yeah, we went to um, Ryder and bought a truck for yeah maybe five thousand dollars, and we um, just built a little space in the back to sort of live in, and then uh, and then kind of reinforced uh, where the piano would be strapped. So there's a piano back there, the drums, the bass, the bass amp, and then a couch and a television set <laughs> and a bed. We we were we were in it for the long haul. We, we talked about it, and we just thought this is what we'll do for as long as we can hang on. And uh, that's why I think when we had a hit, that it wasn't something we celebrated. It was a relief because we we just realized we couldn't. We couldn't have done that for any longer. I mean, I was getting ill. I was actually physically ill because I remember playing in Los Angeles and we, we were playing, you know, pretty high pressure showcasey kind of things where we were on a label and our record was out, but we were having to play TV things and, you know, all the promo that you do. And I just, I was having to move my piano onto the stage myself, go kiss various asses that you have to do when you're in the music business and then get back to the piano and then put it back on the truck and then you know, drive to the hotel, and we were doing everything. So when we had the hit, then there was a little bit of money, eventually, then uh, uh, it was just a relief, because we could keep going. Let's talk for a minute about uh, your songwriting process. You described having fragments of melody kind of bumping around and building in your brain yeah. at any given time. Do you also have lyrical themes bumping around in your head? Do you match them up? Does the does the melody suggest theme? The melody has to suggest theme, and if I'm really kind of on it, um, as I'm thinking about things that you think about, I make sure that I write them down. You know, But then you get so busy, it's... And I think the whole computer age, while it, there's so many advantages to it, has kept a lot of us from just kind of walking around with a notebook like we ought to, you know. But when I'm on it and I know that I have to finish songs and I start taking note of what I'm thinking about and phrases that I that I think are musical, single words even, you know, and, uh, and write them down. And then the music comes first, but the music will coincide as an expression of the things I'm thinking about. So it's not that difficult to put the two together. We were talking about Randy Newman before we went on the air. He, he's a guy who almost never writes from his own personal perspective. Um, he, he almost invariably writes from the perspective of a character. Yeah. You often write narrative songs. Is it easier or, or less easy for you to, to write from someone else's perspective than to write from your own? Well, I think what um, Randy Newman does, unless you're a, a, just an, an idiot, I mean, <laughs> he sets you up to understand that he is writing a um, a short story, uh, a character, so that you, you you get that from the beginning. Um, 
I think since I came along after him and, and having so much respect for all of the writers that came before me, my instinct has been to take that uh, a different approach, although I was inspired by his approach. And, and I, I'd say the difference maybe is that um, I'm not so sure that I want it to be clear whether I'm being biographical or not. And that, in theory, would arrest people's attention a little bit to wonder whether it's autobiographical because people are interested in that and, and they're interested in reality shows and they're interested in just the, the Americans are, uh, you know, the, uh, the English are aware that as I always use as an example, everyone knows that David Bowie didn't go to Mars and they know that, <laughs> but over here, you know, Bruce Springsteen, if he says he's done something, he, he had better have that credibility. Paul Simon, whoever we, we, we over here, we need that. So I like skewing the two a little bit. But I think that Randy Newman and and what I love his are just such they're just such little you know pieces of short story very you know but then again you know people got all upset about short people so I guess <laughs> it it doesn't you know people get you know you write a lot of funny songs and you also write a lot of uh, sweet songs and I wonder if you're conscious when you're putting uh, a record together of balancing those two together you know uh, there are there are always times when you're making a record that you just pop into your consciousness like that and you go oh i need to balance this or I need to balance that but it's not a very successful way to go um and, and it's usually not accomplished you know when you try to think like that because creating anything a song or anything it's you're 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 kind of to me maybe everyone i guess everyone's different but i feel really precariously perched on this little place that's creative that if I think about too much, it's gone. And, uh, you know, as a result, I have these records where, you know, one song will be give me my money back, you bitch. And the next one's uh, a love song. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the sound of young America. It was really fun to have you. No, no. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart, the show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally, the show edited by Nick White. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and in fact, I encourage you to do so. You can always email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. Hey, if you haven't checked out our other shows like... Uh, uh, Jordan Jesse Go or Coil and Sharp or the Casper Hauser comedy podcast, I recommend that you do so. This week's Jordan Jesse Go was really good. Take a listen to it. We had Paul Shear from The Human Giant on with us. Okay, we'll see you next time on The Sound of Young America.